Chris, and I get to be one of your pastors here. Uh, whether you're in the house this morning or whether you're watching online via live stream, uh, welcome. So glad that you're with us. However, you're with us uh, this morning. If you are newer to New Life, we have been in a series as we've launched into a brand new year through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's cha- uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7. We paused that series last week to really just kind of have a celebration Sunday, celebrate all that God has done in us and through us as a faith family over the last year. If, if you missed uh, the service last week, would encourage you to catch it uh, online just to really celebrate with us what God has been up to. And we're going to continue pausing uh, for one more week. We're going to be back in Sermon on the Mount next week. But this week, what we're going to do is we're going to dip back into uh, an occasional sermon series that we do here called Basics. So you may remember last fall, we did a basic series on God as Father. We did another basic series on uh, baptism as sign and symbol. And then like two dozen of you got baptized. So I think I just need to preach on baptism like once a month or something like that. Um, But we're going to be back in our basic series uh, this morning. And I've titled today's message, Jesus, Gender, and the Church. So we're going to be talking about gender today. Not controversial at all in our culture. And so everybody just take a deep breath with me. Exhale. All right. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. I'll be gentle, and um, this, this will be good, I think. Now, there are a couple reasons that I want to talk to you about gender in the church today. One is um, our elder team has been talking and praying about this behind the scenes for a couple of years. Uh, the second reason I want to talk to you about gender today is the fact that our world uh, is just kind of in a confusing season when it comes to the subject of gender, right? I mean, it's just our world has kind of gone mad on the topic of gender. In fact, some of you, I would guess, are here, you're watching online, and you don't know what to believe anymore when it comes to the issue of gender because there's so much swirling around in the culture world around us. Like, how could you not be confused in today's day and age? All right, complicating matters even more. Most of us personally know or lo- and love someone who's been affected by gender dysphoria or someone who's been kind of swept up in the social contagion in our culture today that would say, hey, gender is really nothing more than a social construct. It's a spectrum. You can be gender fluid. You kind of flow from one end to the other. You can be a man one day and uh, a woman the next day based on your mood, feeling, circumstances. And the reality is, look, these are real people that we know and we love. It's people we work with, it's people we go to school with, it's maybe a son or a daughter or an aunt or an uncle. They're people that that we love. Maybe maybe you're here or you're watching online and you're there. You you either personally struggle with gender dysphoria or you've also kind of been swept up in this cultural ideology of of what gender is, which really kind of runs against what the Bible teaches and what Christians have believed for 2,000 years. And so it it can be confusing. And so I just want to say at the outset of the message, I want you to understand and hear that my heart posture on this is one of compassion and grace, right? And so I think as followers of Jesus, that ought to be our heart posture when we're dealing with any issue in culture is that we, we lead with, with grace and compassion. Not that we ever compromise on truth, but we always, as Paul says, we speak the truth in what? In love. We speak the truth in love with compassion, Because at the end of the day, what I know to be true, and I know what you know to be true, is that we're not just dealing with issues, we're dealing with people. People who are created in the image of God and who are loved by their creator. So I just want you to know this morning, uh, I'm I'm not attempting to win any cultural arguments this morning. 
I certainly don't care about pushing any dumb political football down the field. That is not my intention at all this morning. In fact, my only thing I really care about this morning, my aim as a shepherd today is that, listen, in times of confusion, I believe the answer is clarity. In times of confusion, I believe the answer, the antidote is clarity. Now, I don't believe that the world needs the church to be clever in confusing times. I think the world needs the church to be clear. And I see, and I, and I see clarity actually as, as a gift. Now, um, if, you, if this is your first Sunday showing up or watching online and you're thinking, dang it, out of all the Sundays for me to come back to church. Um, man, I have been in church in 10 years. I picked the wrong week. I would just say to you, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, you, you did pick the wrong week. Nah, maybe leave and try next week. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't leave, don't leave. Um, I am sorry, and you did get pushed into the deep end this morning, but I promise I'll do my best to be gracious and compassionate and gentle. And, and, and just know um, that what we believe is, is that where God speaks in the scriptures, we as his people must not remain silent. Where God speaks in the scriptures, we, we can't, as his people, as the church, we can't stay silent. So where, where culture has muddied the water, I believe God intends to, to bring clarity. So, um, and, and here's the reality. What I've discovered in, in my experience is most people actually want the truth. Like whether they agree with me or disagree with me at the end of the day over a cup of coffee or whatever it is, uh, most people at the end of the day, they want the truth, Right? They, they want to know what God has to say on controversial issues or what the Bible has to say on controversial issues, whether they agree or disagree at the end of the day, right? I think people want the truth. I think you want the truth. Um, and so here's the big idea. Let me give you the big idea, start of the deal, and everything will flow from this. Big idea this morning is God created two genders for his glory and our good. God created two genders for his glory and our good. Now, I need you to know this. You probably already know this. There is constant conflict between the world and the word. Did you know that? There's constant conflict between the world and the word. And I think the decision that each of us has to make individually is, are we gonna trust what people in the world say or are we gonna trust what Jesus in his word has said? And we've all got that decision to make, right? Are we gonna trust what people in the world say? Or are we gonna trust what Jesus in his word says? Now, we don't have time today. I'm just telling you up front, as I studied this week, I'm like, I have three or four sermons that I need to preach today related to this. I don't have time. We have a Super Bowl to watch uh, this evening. Uh, go, go, go Niners. But, but so we, we don't, we just, that's right, that's right, that's right. Go 49ers, Lord's team. All right. Just kidding, relax. All you freaking Swifty fans out there. I'm gonna, oh, come on Niners, let's go baby. All right, we don't have time. To deal with, this is another sermon, exceptional cases like, listen y'all, intersex people. That's a real thing. All right, now again, it's, it's 0.2% of the population, uh, folks that are born with an extra chromosome. So physically, they present as both male, female. We don't have time to get in, into that. We don't have time this morning to talk about people who legitimately struggle with a very real condition called gender dysphoria. That is a sermon unto itself. And if you have questions, come talk to me. I can send you resources, links, podcasts, books from experts that have studied this and they're far smarter than I am. Um, let, let me simply say, if you're here in the room, if you're watching this and you fall into one of those two categories, those specifically, if you're intersex or if you struggle with gender dysphoria, I want you to know the posture of our church is one of compassion and love towards you. 
right? I want you to know that. Now, there are layers to that. I believe truth is always a part of love. But our primary posture towards you, if you're in one of those camps, those exceptional cases, is compassion and grace. So I just want, I want you to know that. Um, let me also just say from the outset that there are godly men and women when it comes to the sub- subject of gender, particularly as it relates to in the church, who have landed somewhere differently than I have or we have on this issue. So I have godly men and women who I respect and I read their books and I listen to their podcasts and I'll watch their sermons. I have friends that are in this church who have landed in different places on this issue. All right, so just like I've said before, I've got a lot of Presbyterian friends who I love and respect. They've landed in also different places on different issues like say the topic of baptism. And they think I'm wrong. And I know they're wrong. And that's just... You know, when we get to heaven one day, I'll accept their apology very humbly. That's the kind of guy I am. Um, but listen, y'all, on secondary matters, and, and, and don't hear me say secondary as unimportant. Secondary is still important, but secondary issues, non-salvific issues, like baptism, gender roles in the church, our position should be one of charity and grace with one another as the family of, of God, right? Because I love many brothers and sisters with whom I disagree on this issue and a variety of, of, of other issues. I really appreciate this quote that's been attributed to Augustine. I don't know if it, he really said it, but I'll put it on the screens for you. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Isn't that good? So in the essentials, like the, the core, the essence of our faith, the Bible as the word of God, right? The divinity of Jesus the virgin birth, the literal resurrection. Like, we'll split over that stuff, right? We will die on those hills. I'll fight you in the parking lot over that stuff. Like, that, that stuff is serious. We'll die on that stuff. But in non-essentials, views of baptism, end times theology, gender roles within the church and home, right? Liberty, and that's, that's a secondary issue. And then in all things, generosity, charity, compassion. So I think that should guide our conversation this morning. And why don't we just pause before we dive into the scriptures and ask for the Lord's help as we look at this. God, we, we come to you and we confess that the world can just be confusing sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to know what to believe and what, where to stand on which side of which line because there's so much information out there and passion out there about different things and issues and situations, Father. We are easily persuaded and oftentimes not in the right direction, God. So would you, would you help us cling to your word as the primary source of truth for both our faith and practice in life? God, where maybe we've taken a wrong turn in our mind, God, would you help correct us? Would you reroute us, Father? Would you give us grace, compassion, humility? God, would you season my words with grace this morning? Would you hide me behind your son, Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you uh, be present? Would you speak through these ancient words inspired by you? And would you apply these things to our hearts and our lives that would make us more like Jesus in whom we pray, amen. Amen, all right. Well, listen, guys, when things get really confusing, confusing in life, where, where's the first place you should turn? I would argue that when things get confusing in any arena of life, you should 
you should always go back to the beginning, right? And so if you buy a piece of furniture that you're trying to assemble from Ikea or Target or someplace like that, and you get to the end of it, and it's kind of wonky, it's all jacked up, what do you do? You go back to the instruction manual, right? From the manufacturer. You go right to the source. You go right to the beginning to see how things ought to be structured. I would argue the same principle is true in our faith journey. We go back to the beginning. So when life gets confusing, you go to the source, So in light of that, if you have a Bible, go ahead and type to or turn to Genesis chapter 1. So uh, you won't have to turn many pages. That's the first book uh, in your Bible, first chapter of the first book. And we're actually going to start in verse 27. If you don't have a Bible, this will all be on the screens for you. It says this, so God created man in his own image. So we'll come back to that. This is a, a really important thing that we'll come back to, the image of God. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, He created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, the creation mandate. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, I want you to flip your page, just just one over to Genesis chapter 2. And we get an even more detailed account of creation. And we'll start in verse 7. It says this, Then the Lord God formed the, the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Verse 18, Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So let's pause right there and just a couple of points before we move on. God creates a man, right? So he creates Adam first. Adam is alone, right? Now, now, dudes, I don't know about you, but I know when my wife and my kids go out of town, I quickly revert to being a caveman, right? And so I just eat steak a couple times a day, watch war movies, walk around the house grunting, flex in the mirror a few more times than, than normal, right? So this is just, it's, it's pathetic, all right? So this is, this, is, this is who most of us are. Um, as guys. And so for me, uh, what I picture is God creates Adam, and I just picture Adam like riding through the rainforest on the back of a rhino screaming, right? (laughs) Or he's like like surfing on the back of a great white shark in the ocean in the buff. And man, life life is just going great for him as far as he's concerned. And God looks down one day, and he just kind of shakes his head. It's like, Jesus, come here. Holy Spirit, come here. Look at this guy. Do you see what he's doing? Like, this is not going to go well for us, right? It's like, this is, this, is, this is not going to go well. And so for the very first time in the creation narrative, so you'll remember, God creates something, he, he, and then he calls it good, right? So he, he creates light and darkness is good. He, uh, vegetation is good. Plant animals, good. So every time he says good, for the first time in all creation, he looks at Adam alone, and he says, it's not good. He's riding a rhino in the rainforest, but no, it's not good. This is not, this is not good. So he, he creates woman. He creates Eve. So now, Adam compliments Eve, Eve compliments Adam, and together, this is important, and together they more fully display and reflect the image and goodness of God to the world around them. It's beautiful. And you say, well, well Chris, why, why did God create two genders instead of one or three or 63? And the reality is, I don't know. Apparently God and his sovereignty knew that two was the number that would bring him the most glory and provide us the most good and enjoyment as human beings. You go, well, I don't really like that. 
well, that, that's okay. You create your own world and your own human beings, and you can do it how, with, it, with it however you want. But this is, this is God's world. This is his design. He has made two genders for his glory and for our good. Now, listen, y'all, not to stifle our happiness or our enjoyment, but rather to maximize our enjoyment and flourishing as human beings. So know that. The second thing I just want to say quickly here is, is some of you heard that word helper a minute ago in the text that we just read, right? Like, I will make him, Adam, a helper fit for him. What was your reaction when you heard that word helper? Just be honest, we're in church, don't lie. Some of you bristled. Some of you bristled at that, right? Like a helper? What? I'm more than, I'm more than a helper? Like, that guy's riding on a rhino through the rainforest. He needs more than a helper, Right? Now, now, let me just, let me just, let me, let me just say, uh, let me tell you why you shouldn't bristle at that word, all right? So this is fascinating. This is actually really fascinating. That Hebrew word, really long, I can't pronounce it, but that Hebrew word for helper is the same exact word, listen, y'all, that God uses for himself multiple times throughout the Old Testament when he's helping his people. Do you know that? So that, that term, helper, there does not denote inferiority. It denotes difference or distinctiveness in role. That's what it means. So men and women are equal and yet distinct. So you got to say equal with me. One, two, three, equal. Equal. One, two, three, distinct. Distinct. Equal but distinct. And listen, y'all, that's not bad. That's beautiful. That is a part of God's good design. Now, part of that distinctiveness, for sure, is, is obviously uh, the physical differences between man and woman. And, and I think that's one reason why it's so sad that even the physical differences seem to be under siege in our culture today. Let me, let me show you what I mean. Go back to Genesis 2, starting in verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, now, now we miss this in translation, right? Because we read it in English. But scholars will tell you in the Hebrew, this is actually poetry or a song that, that Adam breaks into. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, I'm not, I'm not gonna get graphic or make you too uncomfortable here, but God, God creates the woman. He brings her to Adam, and he sees his wife naked for the very first time, and he immediately bursts into song and poetry. <laughs> I mean, it's in the Bible. All right, it's okay to laugh. <laughs> it's okay to laugh. He sees his wife uh, naked for the first time, and and he can't help himself. He just starts writing poems and singing songs. All right. Now I'm just gonna guess he didn't burst into song and poetry because he saw her walking across the garden, and he really admired her personality. She looks like an Enneagram three. Yeah, baby. Or that she had like a female brain. No, he, he saw that she was fashioned differently than he was physically, and he rejoiced in that. 
The point is this. God created man and woman distinctly differently, even physically. And listen, y'all, those differences are good, right, and beautiful and should be cherished, protected, and celebrated. And those differences don't end with the physical. We are also wired differently. I can tell you for a fact that my wife and I, we process emotions differently. We think through things differently. She thinks I'm nuts half the time, and I think she's crazy half the time, right? We have two daughters and a son. They came out of the womb different. Right? Our two daughters came out of the womb as these wonderful, angelic, lovely, sensitive, mostly compliant, sweet creatures, and we thought we were awesome parents until we had our son. (laughs) And then we realized it had nothing to do with our parenting skills. (laughs) It was the fact that we had two daughters, right? We had our son, and then, you know, we were in the ER three times before his second birthday, broken bones, stitches. Instead of rocking the baby dolls, he was trying to decapitate them. We did not teach him how to do any of those things. I promise you, I don't sit around doing that. Like, he didn't learn. That was not socially conditioned, I promise you. He came out different with a little black heart that needed Jesus, you know? And, and our daughters also had little black hearts that needed Jesus for other reasons, right? But, but they, came out, they came out different, and that's okay. That's not just okay, that's good. That's the way it's been designed from the beginning of time. Now, for those who, who might say, well, Chris, that's all fine and well, bro, but I don't know if you noticed, that's all Old Testament. The New Testament, Jesus never talks about gender uh, in the New Testament. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Now, just to set the context for this conversation, uh, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus as they're known to do. And they're trying to set Jesus up with a question about marriage and divorce. Okay, so we'll, we'll get into that in a few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. But that, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to set him up, trying to trap him. And Jesus, being divine, <laughs> being the God-man that he was and is, uh, he gives this incredible, beautiful answer that not only answers their question, but he gives a beautiful exposition about gender, sexuality, and marriage, all just kind of rolled into one. So this is how he answers. Verse four, he says, uh, it says, he answered, have you not read that he who created them? Now, you gotta understand, for him to say, have you not read to the Pharisees is about as, as huge of an insult as you could give to the Pharisees. These guys studied the Bible for a living. They memorized it. And he's going, bro, have you even read the Bible? Are you seriously asking me this question right now? Have you ever, have you ever even, have you heard of the Bible? Have you heard of the Torah? So massively insulting. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, now and notice he's hyperlinking back to Genesis chapter one and two, which we just read. And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now I want you to listen to me, church families, and I say this with love and grace. There are two genders, and we are different, and that is good. We should celebrate our differences, not try to eliminate them or pretend like they don't exist. Godly masculinity is good. Now, I didn't say toxic masculinity, right? So uh, any, any man that would try to use his physical prowess to abuse or, or dominate someone else, a child or a woman, that's not manhood, that's cowardice. 
I'm talking about godly manhood is good. And for some of you men, particularly you, you young men, you've been so neutered by a culture that has told you for so long that masculinity and manhood is bad. I just want to tell you, you have permission from God to be a man, to be manly in a godly way, not an abusive way. Godly masculinity is good. Let me, let me just flip it and say, women, godly femininity is good. It's good. These are good gifts from a good God in his good design. Not social constructs, part of a good design. So let me just give you four kind of basic truths regarding gender from Genesis 1 and 2 and Matthew 19, and then we'll move on. God created us, number one, in his image. Now, that, that's the most important truth that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. And this is a foundational truth that drives Christian worldview. In fact, all human rights throughout history have been rooted in this Christian idea of being created in his image. All right? So you can go back and study history from the slave abolitionists to civil rights movements to the women's rights movement, all led, by the way, by Christians based on this one theological premise that we all have intrinsic value and dignity as human beings because we're created in his image. That's why Christians love uh, uh, the disabled and the mentally and physically handicapped, and all of it. Like we value life because of this theological truth found in Genesis 1 and 2. We are created in his image. Number two, we are created male and female. Regardless of what the world tells us, we are created male and female and that is good. Don't let anybody tell you differently. That's good. Number three, just as important, we are created equal and distinct. Equal and distinct. Uh, we just talked about some of the distinctions, but, but equal as well. Think about the, the creation mandate in Genesis 1 and 2, the, the mandate that God gives in the garden to rule and reign, to subdue, to bring order out of chaos. Is that given to the man or the woman? Both. It's given to both. What about the Great Commission right before Jesus ascends back to the Father? Is that given to man or woman? It's given to the church. It's given to, to both, right? That leads right into the fourth one. God created us, men and women, with a shared mission. With a shared mission. We'll get into that more in just a minute. So, listen. All four of those things you see on the screen, good. Part of God's good design. Now, how then is this fleshed out relative to gender roles in the church? So let's just make it a little more granular. We'll get to that in a moment. Let me just say this. We do not have time uh, to talk about how this fleshes out in the home. Uh, I've preached on that in the past. I'll preach on it again at some point in the future. Again, I had about four sermons that I needed to preach this morning, and I had to really whittle it down. But let me just say this. To, to the men in the room, particularly to married men in the room, I just want you to hear me say this. God holds you responsible for the spiritual temperature of your home. I said again, men in the room, God will hold you responsible for the spiritual temperature in your home. God holds you responsible for the nurturing of your wife and for the discipling of your kids. So man, if you're, if you're not loving your wife the way that Christ loved the church, if you are not laying down your life and your preferences to love, build up, lead, serve, and sacrifice for your wife and lead and disciple your kids, I just want you to know you will give an account to God Almighty one day for that. 
You say, Chris, where, where on earth do you get that? I get that from a lot of places in Scripture. I'll just give you one example for the sake of time. In Genesis chapter 3, after the fall in the garden, Adam and Eve were hiding. God comes back to the garden. Who's he looking for? Do you know the story? Now, who took the fruit first? Eve. Who's God looking for? Adam. Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Adam steps out, and he immediately starts blame-shifting, doesn't he? He does. He's a, cow he's a coward. God, the woman that you gave me. He's got both fingers pointing somewhere else. The woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit, and I ate of it. Now, listen, I, I've often said, I don't think the first sin in the garden was Eve taking the, the fruit. I think the first sin in the garden was the passivity of man who watched it all go down like a coward instead of loving, serving, and protecting his wife. So you, just need to, you just need to know that, man. That's not part of the message. That's for free, so you're welcome. Um, now, let's move to the church because that's what we're talking about today. Historically, you just need to know this. In the church, there have been four primary camps regarding gender roles in the church, right? So what I want to do, just quickly run through those camps. I'm going to tell you where we land and, and what that means for us moving forward. So uh, on one far end of the spectrum, you have a camp that I would just call the patriarchy camp, okay? Uh, many of you, unknowingly, you, you grew up in those churches. You, you came out of those cultures. And what the patriarchy church camp would teach is that uh, even if they wouldn't say this overtly, this is what they believe, that men are superior to women. They would just, that, that's kind of how they would practice church. Men are superior to women. That functionally, Men lead and women submit. So in, in any and every environment in the world, so home, church, society, workplace, government, men by nature lead and women by nature submit. So that, that would be kind of their theology. And again, they would try to twist the scriptures and take Genesis 1 and say man was created first and build this entire theology out, out of something that really in my mind is not there. So just, just so you know, uh, we as a church, we would argue this is an unbiblical view we would ferociously reject that view. At the other far end of the spectrum, you would have a camp that I would just call maybe Christian feminism. So the, these are folk that are almost the exact opposite of the patriarchy camp in the sense that they would be very suspicious of men in general. Uh, men just are not to be trusted. Men generally, uh, by nature, they abuse and oppress. They would teach that gender is a social construct, that gender is both fluid and interchangeable. And frankly, this camp uh, wouldn't even really view the Bible as God's authoritative word to us. They would see it as a book with some good moral teachings, perhaps, but then other things that we ought to reject as culturally irrelevant or even oppressive. So you should just know, for us as a church, we would heartily also reject this position as being outside the bounds of biblical, historical, orthodox Christianity, right? So patriarchy, <clears throat> Christian feminism, <clears throat> and we would just argue, look, at, at best, these are distortions of the gospel and gender as God designed them, and really just kind of a pollution of God's good design in a way that's not, not helpful, all right? So that leaves two camps in the middle. It leaves two camps in the middle. I would argue both fall within the bounds of biblical orthodoxy, all right? So those two camps, just quickly, would be the egalitarian camp and the complementarian camp. Between these two camps, let me just say, charity, grace, respect, compassion, 
we're part of the same team, all right? Both camps believe the Bible. Both camps would point to Scripture to argue their position. They both believe that the Bible is the primary authority for the life and practice of the believer that is God's inspired word. Both camps believe the gospel is true. Both camps love Jesus. We're family, all right? So you got the egalitarian camp, you got the complementarian camp. Now, the egalitarian brothers and sisters would say men are created equal in dignity, value, and worth as image bearers of God, right? We would just say yes and amen. They would also say that most all gender roles in the home and the church, if they ever existed, were a result of the fall, and they have now been done away with uh, in Jesus. So I'd point to one passage in Galatians especially to, to kind of drive home that point. So for instance, if the wife uh, is, is naturally just kind of a better spiritual leader or has a stronger personality, it'd be perfectly fine for her to be the primary spiritual leader in the home. It'd be okay for the, the husband and the father to take a more passive uh, role in the home. They would also argue that men and women can hold any office in the church, including that of elder pastor, right? So that'd be, that'd be one camp. Now, the complementarian brothers and sisters, which, by the way, is, is where we land as a church, would say yes and amen to our egalitarian friends in that God created both men and women with equal dignity, value, and worth. But where we would diverge is that we believe gender functions in the home and the church are not a result of the fall, but a part of God's good design from the beginning for our flourishing. We'd point to passages where the Apostle Paul actually roots his theology of gender in the church, not to cultural norms, but actually to the created order. Now, I'm going to take just a minute and just kind of unpack what this means for you a little bit. New life, just so you know, has always been complementarian theologically. Right? So we were planning in 1997 in a home somewhere else in the city. That's, that, that, that's always who we've been. That's always been our theological position. That's not changing. But you need to know this, with, with e, even within the, the camp of complementarianism, there exists a spectrum of practice and belief, right? So I would say on one side of the complementarian camp, you would have those who maybe we could call careful or cautious complementarians. And so they, they would, I don't think they would probably verbalize this, but in practice, the, it, it, it's kind of fleshed out like, man, we can't let women do too much in the church because that's a slippery slope. Right? And so, you know, the, the women can make the coffee and, you know, take care of the babies. And, and we're not going to let them do everything that the Bible gives them freedom to do because that could be a slippery slope and we could end up somewhere that we don't want to be. And so women in these churches would typically not be allowed to uh, lead from the stage, whether it's uh, worship or reading scripture, sharing encouragement, teaching in mixed gender groups like small groups outside of Sunday, the Sunday gathering. But what you need to know is that after a couple years of discussion and prayer, our elders have, have sort of landed on the, the other end of the complementarian spectrum and what might be called generous complementarianism. Now, here, here's what that means practically. While we still believe that the scriptures reserve the office and function of elder pastor to certain qualified men, not, not all men, cert, certain qualified men, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, we believe... Even with that in place, we believe that both men and women are given, both given the full range of spiritual gifts, including the gift of leadership and teaching. And our desire is to wholeheartedly empower our sisters and our daughters in the faith to use the full range of gifts within the body of Christ and outside the four walls to expand the kingdom of Jesus near and far. 
Now, what that means practically is that moving forward, our elder team will continue as godly, qualified men. And since we see Sunday morning preaching and the gathering as an extension of elder authority, the Sunday sermon will continue to be led by me or another qualified man. But outside of that one office and function, we see everything as open to both men and women. In fact, we are convinced that for us not to move towards a fuller practice of both genders fully functioning within a complementarian view would be for us to handicap our church. The reality is we believe there's something missing in the church when women are not fully empowered within the bounds of Scripture to use their gifts fully and to flourish in the body of Christ in the kingdom of Jesus. Kathy Keller, uh, who co-founded Redeemer Prez in New York City with her late husband, Tim Keller, she wrote a little book that I would just commend to you. Our staff has read it, our elders have read it, called Jesus, Justice, and Gender Roles. And I just want to read one quote from from her book to you this morning because I think it's helpful. She writes this, The shameful fact is that in many churches, the scriptures have been interpreted so as to prevent women from exercising many, if not most, of the gifts of leadership, teaching, exhortation, encouragement, and so on that the Holy Spirit has given them. Not only does this disenfranchise half the church, it amputates the body of Christ. An amputated body is a wounded body, and many women have been crushed by being told that their gifts, given by the Holy Spirit, are not allowed, not wanted, even non-existent or imaginary. And I just want to say, friend, we, we, must, we must not, we cannot function as an amputated body. We, we need one another. We need one another. And while we unapologetically follow the boundaries that the scriptures seem to prescribe to us, our aim is to fully unleash and empower our sisters in Christ to flourish fully and freely in their giftings in our church and in the kingdom. And we think this is biblical. We see, I mean, the Bible is is replete with stories of women leading in massively critical, important positions of leadership in God's kingdom. From Deborah, serving as a judge in the Old Testament, to Queen Esther, who served as a catalyst for rescuing God's people, to Miriam and Huldah as prophetesses in the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament, you have Priscilla, along with her husband, discipling this young, charismatic preacher named Apollos. We have women who started and hosted uh, house churches in their homes. You have Junia and Acts, who seems to be doing ministry right alongside the male apostles. You have Phoebe, who was a servant or even a deaconess of the church, who worked closely with Paul and probably hand-delivered from prison his letter to the Roman church. The first people to the the first witnesses, eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus were women who then went and proclaimed the resurrected Jesus to his male disciples. First Corinthians, you have women who are publicly praying and prophesying in the public uh, gathering on Sunday. So I think the, the testimony of Scripture is clear, and I don't mind even telling you that this, this is on some level personal for me. It's theological first, but it's personal second. I I have two teenage daughters. And I don't want them growing up in church feeling like second-class citizens in God's kingdom because they are not. They are valuable, indispensable parts of the family of faith. 
And so let me just say to the, the men in the room, men, we need you to stand up. We need you to love well, to serve well, to lead well in your homes, in the church. Similarly, women, we need you to stand up. We need you to use your giftings fully in the body of Christ so we are not an amputated body. We are better together. I'm convinced of that. Our leadership team is convinced of that. Now, you may be asking, well, what does that mean practically, Chris? Like, what's, what's changing, if anything? What can we expect? Um, well, there, there have already been some subtle shifts over the last two years that most of you probably haven't even noticed because they have been sh- subtle. I'll name just a few, and then we'll celebrate a big one together, and then we'll celebrate uh, communion as a faith family, okay? So, um, the last couple years... Um, since the elders have been discussing this, we have taken really intentional steps to make sure that we are regularly and consistently platforming female voices on Sunday morning, right? So you may have noticed we have women who consistently lead in worship here, read the scriptures, stage host, as Laura Beth's doing uh, this morning, share spiritual insights and devotional thoughts, exhort the body, over the last two years, I didn't even, I was just thinking about this week, I don't think this was even intentional, but maybe subconscious based on our conversations, but over the last two years, we've hired more women to our staff than men. In fact, I think the only man we've hired the last two years to our staff is our student pastor, Alan, and he's kind of girly anyway, so it's kind of like, it's just like I don't know, I'm always thinking on Alan. Alan, I love you, man, I love you. Actually, his, his beard is the most manly thing in this room right now, so... My beard gets embarrassed when his walks in the room. Um, I love you too, buddy. Uh, and so uh, we, we opened up our, our leadership track uh, that for a couple years, just we, only men were invited into that. And last time we ran a leadership track, we opened it up to both gender. So we had mixed gender go through that for the first time. Uh, we changed our bylaws to reflect that outside of the office of elder pastor, that any and every role is open to both genders. We're trying to be more intentional about filling key uh, ministry roles with both men and women, whether it's leading small groups or leading international mission trips, spearheading spearheading key initiatives, and the like. So a lot lot of changes that that you maybe haven't even noticed the last couple years. Um, But the big one, or at least the most visible piece of this, is one that we're going to celebrate together today, and that is uh, the installation of a Women's Advisory Council. Okay, so seven godly women in our church who are all uh, gifted and mature in the Lord. They're already leading in our body, serving in our body in various ways. Just so you know, their purpose, they'll meet as a team together multiple times throughout the year. And then a couple times a year, spring and fall, they'll actually meet with our elder team to advise us from a female perspective on a variety of issues ranging from big picture mission and vision to more granular things like... um, potential sermon series topics on Sunday morning, right? So let me, let me just be clear, um, because I know I'm going to see something on social media this afternoon, and I'm going to have to come to your house and pepper spray you in the eyeballs. But let me just be clear. Clarity is a gift. We are not installing women elders today. Everybody clear on that? Don't, don't walk out here and put that on your Facebook. However, in the same breath, we recognize that as elders... We're a bunch of dudes sitting in a room, right? We're Adam riding on the rhino through the rainforest, right? And we recognize, we're fully cognizant of the fact that that we most likely do have blind spots, 
and that we need our sisters to illuminate those blind spots for us so that we could lead well. And I think we're all in agreement. We would be fools not to invite our sisters to the table to inform our decision-making process as a church. Okay? Is that, is that clear? Hope, hope it's clear. If it's not clear, I'll be up here after the service. Women's Ministry Council members will be up here. You can ask them questions. We want to give clarity to that. So what I want to do now is I just want to, I want to pray for this group of, of women who are going to be stepping into this new role in our church. I'm going to go ahead and invite them to come up. Stand on my right. So um, Laura Beth, Terry, y'all go ahead and, and, and move up here. Gabe, Carrie, Kristen, Melanie, if she's here. And then uh, Christina Andrews is not here. She's out of town, actually. So you guys come stand to my right, right here. And then I'm going to invite uh, anybody who's on our staff team to come up. We're going to pray over them. Anybody on our elder team, you guys go ahead and move up. And uh, Rich, if you could grab the mic from, Laura Beth, where's the handheld? Is it back? Okay, okay. All right, Mike's going to get it to Rich. Yeah, Eden, come on up. Anybody on our ministry staff, support staff, if you're in the room, come on up. Elder team, I know a lot of them were in the 915. But we want to just take a few minutes and, and pray for our sisters who are going to be stepping into uh, this new capacity and working with our, our elder team. And really just kind of celebrate this, this moment uh, in the life of our church family, uh, the siblinghood of brothers and sisters in Christ, fully using our gifts to build up the body and expand the kingdom. And so I've asked Rich, one of our elders, where are you at, brother, to say the prayer over them. So, Rich, will you pray for us, bro? Heavenly Father, thank you for these dear, dear ladies that have um, stepped up to the plate, so to speak, and said we want to be an encouraging and wise voice um, to add to the leadership, the pool of leadership here in this church, Lord. And we, uh, Lord, we acknowledge your call upon each one as part of the Women's Advisory Council. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would shield and protect each one by your spirit, by your angels, by your people. Um, by one another. Father, would you give them great, great wisdom and discernment, Lord, and, and the courage to voice what they're hearing from you, and the humility for us as elders and leaders, uh, pastors, to hear and listen well. Father, uh, we pray that um, every spiritual gift that you have given these ladies, Lord, we ask in the name of your son, Jesus, who gave us um, the Holy Spirit to come upon us and to live within us. Lord, you have gifted them. Would you empower them now by that same Spirit, Father, to uh, exercise the role that you have for them in this body in new and fresh ways. Lord, we uh, accept them, we welcome them, we love them, and we look forward to all that you're going to do through them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Can we thank the Lord for what he's doing with his life? Now, the, the picture that the New Testament uses most often to describe the relationship between men and women in the family of God is, is that of siblinghood. And so that's, that's kind of the picture that we get most often when, it's, when we're talking about men and women. 
in the faith. And so I'm learning how to embrace that um, as, as we learn how to see each other as, as brothers in the faith, as our dear sisters in the, in the faith. And so, man, we're going to celebrate together the gospel as brothers and sisters who've been adopted into the great big family of God together by the blood of a risen Savior. And so we're going to celebrate communion now. If you are a follower of Jesus and you want to participate, didn't get the elements, we got some tables in the back. Now's the time to go and grab some elements. If you're at home watching uh, online, now's the time. Go grab some, some crackers and juice or whatever you got at home. And just, just take about a minute, uh, two minutes, to just get your heart right before the Lord. We always want to give you time to carve out before we take the bread and the cup. If there's anything that's not right between you and God, now, now's your chance. If there's sin that's unconfessed in your life, confess that sin. So anything that needs to be set right in your relationship with the Lord, just right where you are, silence of your own seat and heart, you pray, get your heart in a great posture of praise and thanksgiving. And in a minute, we'll take the elements together. So you pray where you're at.